What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Back 40 Skull Sessions podcast. This is episode 31. We have a special guest on our podcast today, our buddy Michael Pitts from Realtree, and we are talking everything hunting related. We're going turkey hunting, we're going deer hunting, we're talking about life outside of hunting and how he got into the industry to start with. So you guys give this one a listen. It was a really fun podcast to record. Um, And once again, if you guys are not registered for the turkey competition we've got the north carolina youth turkey competition coming up that's put on by the appalachian holler hunters as well as the north carolina strut masters coming in after that so you guys don't forget to go register for those competitions it's going to be a whole lot of fun but anyway we're going to get right into it y'all enjoy the podcast Sweeter in this town Could it be it's the same as the last I swear I've seen your face elsewhere Before just as familiar as a bottle and a glass Hey darling, sleeping on the blacktop Hey darling, running through the trees, honey Alright guys, welcome back to the Back 40 Skull Sessions podcast. This is episode number 31. I'm Shane Poor here as always with Christian Gardner. Howdy, howdy. And we have a special guest on the show today. You want to introduce our guest, Christian? Yeah, boys, we've got a good one on with us today. We've got our buddy Michael Pitts from Realtree. How you doing today, Michael? Doing great, my friends. How are y'all? Doing Doing good. We're doing good. We're glad to have you here on with us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's, uh... Coming into a slow time of year for us, hunting season's wound down here in North Carolina. How about down where you're at? Yeah, yeah, it's wound down. We went out uh, the 8th is when we went out. So uh, pretty much all I've got left on the year is uh, i got to go to a duck hunt in Louisiana towards the end of this month. But Well, we're almost in the end of the month already, believe it or not. But here in about a week, we're going to go up there and in the – duck season in louisiana up there at real trees lease so nice. that'll be a good time and then 
that'll be pretty much a wrap for me until turkey season gets here, yeah. which I can't wait for already. Well, dang right. <laughs> yeah, don't even talk about turkey hunting around Christian. You'll have him squirming already. Oh, so. yeah. Man, I'm telling you, I'm so ready for it. I actually am getting ready for it earlier this year than I ever have. You know, towards the end of deer season, I started catching the buzz a little bit. You know, I always do around that time of the year. Uh, I love turkey hunt just as much as I do the deer hunt. So I'm looking forward to getting it started and chasing those birds a little bit. Yeah, heck yeah. Well, how's the turkey population looking down there where you're at? You know, it's staying pretty steady. I think everybody's seeing a decline right now, you know, and has been for probably the past 10 years or so. Yeah. And it's the age-old question as far as what's happening, you know. And, yeah. you know, that that's an argument that everybody is having right now is what's causing the decline in the population. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, we still got a good many turkeys and we're having some decent hatches. It's definitely not getting any any better, but uh, uh, I think it's holding where it's at, per se, for us. But, yeah. You know, Georgia and Alabama, our bordering state, has really done a lot in the past year, especially, to try to control the population a little bit better. They've uh, Alabama, you used to could kill five birds a year over there, and they dropped it to four last year. And then in Georgia, you could kill three birds, and they dropped it to two this uh, past year. And then both states pushed the season back about a week. Yeah. Uh, just to try to let some more breeding happen before the, you know, big dominant toms were taken out of there. Yeah. Did you so, notice? You know, go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no. I, I was just rolling on. I'll ramble. You got to learn with me. I'll be talking <laughs> about one thing and skip to a totally different subject. So, son, we do it here all I the need time. A little control. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> go ahead with your question. What I was going to ask is did you notice a difference as far as hunting the birds where they did push it back a week? Did it make it harder? Did it actually make it easier since some hens were gone up to nest? You know, I, I, I really didn't notice that big of a difference. Uh, as far as the way they hunt and respond and act, uh, it, it was pretty much, they're dropping the number to two. You know, if you hunt hard like we do, uh, you're, you're usually tagging out pretty quick. So it's not like you're in a rush to get anything done. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, you know, we just kind of pace ourselves. Now that we're at two birds, you know, we, we, we I typically slow down a little bit, you know, and was, was just, you know, a little more cautious and that kind of thing because I didn't want season to be done in a week or two. You know, I wanted to get a lot of good hunting in. So, yeah, you know, you, you kind of pump the brakes a little bit. But even when I tag out, I'm still going. I'm still taking people or, you know, just going with people because I enjoy the hunt as much as anything. So, you know, even when I tag out, I'm still in the woods every chance I get. But you do kind of pump the brakes a little bit when you can only kill two birds a season. But with the season shortening and up a little bit, you know, sometimes you need that time. It just depends on year to year how your birds are acting, how plentiful they are, you know, that sort of thing. You just kind of get, got to take it year to year and uh, go from there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So you guys are hunting Georgia and Alabama. Any other states you run into this year? Oh, uh, 
there's always a lot of options on the table come turkey season. I'll probably do Florida, Georgia, Alabama, probably do Kentucky, probably do Nebraska. Uh, you know, and there's other stuff that pops up here, there, you know. Uh, yeah. there, there's some several last-minute hunts that'll pop up, uh, especially during the turkey season because, you know, people will just, hey, you want to come out here, you want to come out here or whatever, and we'll <laughs> – pack up and load up in a heartbeat so Heck yeah. Oh, yeah you know really ain't got to twist your arm the, yeah yeah not at all those are some <laughs> of the planned hunts we got but you know like i say something comes up all the time so oh yeah uh you know they'll they'll probably be some more added to that heck yeah yeah i don't blame you. we've been trying to get on florida the last couple of years we ain't got down there yet but they just yeah. with the way they're moving the season dates around and everything it's kind of hard right. to get in that rotation there yeah, yeah, and that's a fun place to hunt. Uh, hunting Osceola's are really, really fun. And the good thing about hunting Osceola's is their season comes in so early, so it gives you that opportunity to kind of get down there because nothing else is open while they're open. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a really, really good chance to get down there and get started a little early. And, uh, you know, there's just something, something cool about Florida, you know, being down there and all those – palmettas and the territory <laughs> the sandy you know kind of territory no yeah, osceolas yeah. are like little velociraptors man they're they're just <laughs> fun to hunt they're real aggressive they're it, it's a cool hunt y'all need to get a piece of that if y'all oh, yeah, y'all yeah. get a chance we're for going, sure we've wanting to bad. Yeah, how bad are the snakes when you go down in there <laughs> that's my question i've never really run into many down there in florida i haven't hunted florida a whole whole lot but i've never never really run in i run into more around here you know than i do anywhere uh here locally we've yeah. got a we got a lot of rattlers timber rattlers around us so you have to be oh, yeah. really really careful but you know i hadn't i hadn't had really any kind of any kind of encounters down there in florida to say but i hadn't been down there a whole, <laughs> whole bunch either so yeah, <laughs> yeah that's was, what i like to hear <laughs> with your luck christian you'd stumble upon a python or something like yeah, that be big something. 10 12 foot long python be coming after yeah, you you, yeah. you got to get way down in south florida to get hold <laughs> oh, of yeah. those pythons and anacondas and all that kind of stuff they they got running around they say the everglades eat up with them oh they oh. are Yep, they said they they become a nuisance and all down there, and you can tell from the TV shows and all on TV about how they're hunting them and trying to get them out of there and that sort of thing. But, yeah, yeah that's something I don't want to tackle right no. there. Mm -mm. I'm, I'm a little jittery of snakes anyhow, so <laughs> something that big crawl out of the bushes, and I'm going to take off running. <laughs> I can promise you I wouldn't have any. Real quick. Yeah, I wouldn't have any turkey loads left in my gun if I seen one of those. Yeah. There's no doubt. Those guys are hunting them on tv are way more gentle with them than i oh, would yeah. be oh yeah there, there's no doubt about that and i don't know if they're so gentle when the when the camera goes off uh -uh. <laughs> i don't i know for no. sure i wouldn't be they'd be getting the business into that 12 gauge real quick e yeah e exactly when, when they're <laughs> deadly i don't deal with them you know yeah. I, I, I have gotten to where around here I, I typically leave them alone you know most of the time but we we got we got several poisonous you know species around us that are that are whew, they 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 make the hair on your neck stand up. Well, a rattlesnake usually won't bother you unless you bother it. But you get around a cottonmouth or something like that, they just born with yeah. a bad attitude. Yeah, like, we got a lot of cottonmouths. Uh, you know, we got copperheads, we got the rattlers. Uh, I, I, the little piece of ground I hunt's really really bad 
with rattlesnakes. They, the place was called Rocky Branch back years ago, and hence the name. It's got rocks all over it. Yeah. And I think those rattlesnakes just love that. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. They, they are really, really prominent in that area for some reason. And I think it's just the territory, the rocky territories where they like to live. But, you know, you go out, you know, other places in Georgia and you, you don't see as many. But for some reason, that area is just full of them. Yeah. Well, it's it can change in a matter of five miles. We've got an area up here. That my grandparents, uh, they've got a house or had a house over there, and we were over there cutting brush one time. And I mean, you'd run across rattlesnakes all the time. You'd come up five miles up the road, and there's not a single one. It's Correct. Just, those, like you say, those rocky areas just make good den areas for them. I guess. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I'm guessing. You know, it, it, it's true. You know that the, the rattlesnake, you know that that typical species, loves the rocks. And, mm-hmm. There's plenty of rocks out there for them, I promise you. It, it is, ooh, it's rocky. So, yeah, they're they're prominent, but you have to watch your feet. I mean, I've seen them a bunch there. Even early turkey season when it's still cold, I've, I've run across several. Yeah. It makes me do a backflip when I yeah, lay I'm, eyes on them. Yeah, I'm not one for snakes at all. No. But Mm-mm. while we've on turkey season, speaking of turkey season, we had uh, talked about strut masters before we come on here. Um that's yeah. where we met you was down at strut masters last Correct. year is that something you're going to try to do again this year i don't know if i'm going to be there this year or not uh i am not sure it's not looking like it for this year because i've got so many other things going on yeah but right. you know if i if i end up finding the time i've hunted in it the, the i hunted the first year and last year so this will be the first one i hadn't gone to and you know that's that that's been an enjoyable hunt you know the past past couple of years so i hate to miss it but uh i don't think i'm gonna be able to make it this year y'all going that's the plans yeah we're going for we're gonna have at least one team if not two teams down there again this year correct so. Yeah, that's a fun hunt, the way they got it laid out and all. And we always, we, we got a friend uh, a little bit north of there we would go hunt with, too, after that competition. So we kind of made about a week of it the past two years, and we'd hunt the competition and roll about an hour north up there to Shepherd's Place, and we would hunt up there for three or four days, and then we'd make the the trek back home but it, it was about it's about an eight hour trip for us to get over there oh yeah yeah uh, that's, a, that's a good little piece right there yeah it's a good haul yeah. it's a problem i think it's mm-hmm. about five for us yeah about five for us what Give or take down there. yeah because it's way over there on the east coast almost yeah uh, yeah you're not far from the big ocean when you're over there no i think <laughs> no. You're, yeah i think you're like 30 maybe 40 minutes from the beach yeah. if that uh-huh that's where we ended up that's hunting right. last year the biggest thing for us is just trying to find a place to hunt down there yeah you know our yeah. team that i was with we ended up hunting odd probably 10 minutes from not even 10 minutes from the beach we yeah. was in the sand trying to hunt turkeys there, right. the there for the competition last year so. yeah right yeah and that's a problem for you know especially your out-of-staters that get in that's going to be finding the land to to hunt but you know it doesn't take much land if you got the right piece of land you can go in there and make quick work of it you yeah. know oh yeah uh but you know it's just having that right piece of land or having an abundance amount of land that you can cover pretty good yeah 
Well, yeah, because I think we've hunted different land. I think about every time we've been up there, we've hunted different little tracks of land. I remember the first year we had a few small tracks that we were bouncing back and forth to you. And then last year we had we had a couple of pretty big tracks that we had that, you know, you could spend some time on. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and we we were fortunate enough. My one of my best friends, his dad lives down there about thirty minutes from where the competition is, and um, he's friends with all the farmers down there. And we were able to yeah. get several good farms to hunt on. But they're finding yep. now that there's a lot of people coming from out of state that are paying big money to tie these farms up for one weekend. I know it just to I get in it. that competition. So it's yeah, getting it's that, getting more and more competitive down there, at least for finding land every year. Yeah, it's definitely competitive, and they've got pretty big payoffs there, so that's going to bring the people for sure. Yeah, and there's there's some people coming in there. They're they're ready to draw blood. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. You. But yeah. It, it's a fun deal, you know. They they do the hunting during the day and the concert, and you know, kind of get together at night. It's always a fun time yeah, over there. Yeah. I if I get a chance, I'm going to try to get over there, but we'll just have to see how the time works out during that time frame yeah it's just cool to see something to come together that's more more than just hunting it's more of a celebration of turkey hunting than anything absolutely it just absolutely cool. they've done something very neat with that whole deal that's for sure yeah they have and i i, I like the blue jacket you know kind, yeah. kind of putting that master's twist into the turkey oh, woods yeah. you know it's pretty that's pretty neat yeah, oh, yeah. That's, like we said the first year the guys that won it the first year i mean i don't know where they killed where they found a turkey that big it was huge but yeah, then cause, last year was doable right right i remember i want to say that first year there weren't but a handful of birds killed uh-uh there weren't many if but i remember correctly the the one that ended up winning it had like a 12 and a half or 13 inch beard yeah. and had better than two inch uh-huh. spurs and upper 20s in, i mean it was just a monster oh, yeah. of a turkey oh yeah yeah and absolutely those guys said they'd been watching that bird for a couple of years because i spoke with them after the competition was over and they said we knew this competition was going to happen he said we've been grooming this bird just for this cause and he said we've been watching this bird and we knew exactly what bird we were going after whenever opening morning comes uh-huh the old money bird yeah absolutely yeah, exactly right but. Yeah, there's no doubt. But yeah, yeah, last year was doable. You know, there were more birds killed last year, but you didn't really see the the big numbers. You know, yeah. uh, the yeah. high scores per se. Because I think I, I want to say, uh, Randy Birdsong and Nate finished second. I want to yeah. say, yeah, they got second place. Yeah, they ended yeah, up they taking got, home about five grand off of that deal. I think. Yeah, I think so. I, yep, I think they got second place in. Uh, you know, they do it right, though. They limit it to where one bird a person, so you can't kill more than two birds, you know, as far as the team goes. So yeah. you can't just go through there and mow them down and pull the you know, best <laughs> bird out of the right. bunch. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty cool deal. I like that bearded hen category, too. That's something that's unique as well. Absolutely. If, oh, yeah. if anybody ever looks up and kills one of those, they're, they're going to drag a good bit of money on that as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're going to steer a little bit away from turkey hunting because we could talk about turkey hunting all day. Oh, yes. Um, Me too. I've always wondered, and I'm sure a lot of every, a lot of people that follow you online wonder, can you just give us an idea of your background, how you got into the hunting industry, and then what you do outside of hunting the rest of the yeah. year when it's not deer and turkey season? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, as far as me getting into the outdoor industry, 
I actually started working for Travis Turner, T-Bone, uh, working on bows uh, probably, gosh, it's probably been 18, 19 years ago. Yeah. And at the time, Travis was doing all the bow work for the Realtree guys. All right. So uh, it, naturally, me working for him, I was around them all the time and working on their stuff and that sort of deal. So I got to know the whole bunch real well. And the first things I was doing was way back in the Monster Buck series when they were doing the little comedy bits and all as an intermission type comedy relief during the hunt. Yeah, yeah. They were using me, you know, sometimes on that. They were shooting me up with paintballs and dressing me <laughs> up in wrestling singlets and all kind of crazy stuff. So I kind of started out you know, just in that element back in the day. But, you know, it all came from wrenching on boats, which, uh, you know, I've done for a long time now. It's a passion of mine as well, just, you know, working on boats and that sort of thing. And when Travis got started with Bone Collector, you know, he was on the road and traveling a whole bunch. And uh, he just didn't have the time. He wasn't around enough to really do all the work. So I kind of took over and helped out with Realtree's load as far as working on all their stuff and that nature. And it just slowly grew, you know, over the past 15 to 18 years or whatever. It just, the relationship slowly grew and built up to what it is today. So, awesome. you know, that's kind of my track history as far as how I got into it. And that's how Travis got into it too, was just working, wrenching on boats, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he owned one of the best bow shops in our area and. You know, they took all their stuff to him, and, you know, then I, I came. I actually, all firemen have got a second job, so yeah. I've always had a second job, uh, and I was farming at the time, but Travis was working on all my bow stuff, and he just had a guy quit him, and uh, he asked me, he said, would you be interested in coming to work for me? Because I piddled around a little bit with my own stuff, but. Right. You know, no, nothing real big. And so he knew I had an interest there. And I said, well, you know, what What do you pay? And he told me what he paid me. And it was $2 an hour more than I was making at the farm. Plus, I'd get to sit in the air conditioning. So I signed <laughs> up real quick. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah, that's a no-brainer. Yep, that's a no-brainer. And it, it just, I never knew it would amount to what it's amounted into today. Because at the time, I really didn't know, you know, he was doing that much with real tree you know because it was kind of during his beginning when i went to work for him so yeah you know and it just grew from there and, and it's grew into one of the best relationships you know you could ever ask for uh real is a great company to work with and you know they treat you like family there so it, it's been it's been a blessing and i thank the lord every day for it you know that that it happened to fall in my lap yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we love Real Tree. I've been a fan of Real Tree for well since I was a little kid watching the Monster Buck series and correct. And I'm Dad calls me a brand whore because that's the only camo that I will wear. I mean, if it ain't Real Tree, I ain't got it. So <laughs> well, it's just such a great camo. When Bill spends so much time with it, and you really the the consumer does not really realize how much goes into making those patterns what they are. I yeah. mean, there's a there's a lot of work that goes into it as far as getting everything set up and the way it is. And Bill is so picky with everything, making sure everything's perfect. I've seen him go 
back to the drawing board almost just because one little stick in the pattern was not where he wanted it. You know, he's really precise about everything, and that's why the camouflage pattern is so good. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's unreal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's by far the best on the market in my opinion, but like yeah. I said, I'm, yeah. I'm a little biased there. Yeah, same. I mean. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in tight with him. I, I want to ask, how is T-Bone doing? Everybody's been seeing on social media with his surgery and everything, and I saw he was getting out yeah. hunting some this year. Uh, yeah. How yeah, he's gotten he out and hunted, hunted quite a bit this year. You know, he's he's doing really well. Uh, you know, one, one of the positive things is, is I, you know, his attitude towards it is just so phenomenal. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem to be slowing him down much at all. He's having to kind of find his way, you yeah. know, a little bit and learn how to do new things different ways as far as hunting goes as well because a lot of the way he's hunting you know he'll he'll build little blinds or whatever to where he can pull his buggy in there and hunt out of it and all and he, he's finding his way you know as far as getting around yeah. yeah they're still working on his prosthetic now so when they get his prosthetic you know that'll open up a little bit more of doors for him but you know he, he's just he's just living and learning and you know, taking it one day at a time, but he's doing very, very well. Uh, he can still, I mean, shoot dots like no other with his <laughs> with his bow. We shoot, you know, he, he has a little Thursday night shooting session. We all go out there and shoot, and he's he's still deadly. I mean, it, it's it like I say, it has not slowed him down a whole lot. Yeah. He's still doing most of what he used to do he's just having to find a different way to do it that's awesome and but he's still very headstrong has a positive attitude and outlook towards things and that's what makes all the difference in the world so yeah, absolutely. It, it was good to see it not affect him in that nature but yeah. he's, he's very positive everything's been going great as far as the healing process and I think once, you know, he gets his prosthetic, he'll be able to get around even that much more better. So everything's going real good with him. That's uh, awesome. You know, very good. Yeah, that's good. Like you said, everybody's been wondering and, and asking how he's been doing and stuff, so that's really good to hear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. And he, he, he actually, uh, I know he killed uh, he killed a doe with his bow, and he killed a pretty good buck with his rifle. Uh, not too long ago so he's put some stuff on the ground this year so that's awesome yep. i mean that's that's mm. really inspirational to see somebody like that just keep a positive attitude and not let it knock them down i mean yeah absolutely he, and that's the biggest hurdle you yeah know, if absolutely. you can master that you know you, you, you've got it lit well and he's such a, a big personality anyway i mean he just whenever you talk to him and stuff he's exactly like he seems on tv just he's real yeah upbeat and real happy-go-lucky and just seems like a real good guy anyway so that's awesome that he's no doing well with that so you Absolutely. said uh, you were a fireman do you still do yeah. that yeah i'm still doing that full-time uh which if you if you like the outdoors and time off of firemen's you know uh, that that profession works good with it because we only work every third day we're on the 24 48 rotation and so, you know, if I take one vacation day, I get five days straight off. 
So, you know, I've been in the fire service for a long time, so I've got a good amount of vacation time and all to use every year. And it allows me to to really hit the woods hard during turkey season and deer season. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we allow uh, comp time at our department, too. So, you know, if we end up having to work an extra shift or whatever, we can put that in the bank to take off later. So, you know, with everything going on, it allows me to take quite a few trips and all. But yeah, I've been I've been a fireman since I turned eighteen, and I did it part time and volunteer while I was in college. And then once I graduated college, I went full time. So it's really the only profession I've ever done, other than farming. You know, on my off days and working on bows. So yeah, yep, yep, but. It's a good profession to do if you if you like, you know, being outdoors. But sometimes you spend those two days catching up on rest. Cause oh, yeah. yeah. There are a lot of times we'll be up for 24 hours straight if we catch a bad night. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you got to take the good with the bad. Absolutely. Okay. Well, every profession's like that. But I'd say that's one of it those is. things when it rains, it pours. It, when you're needed, yeah. everybody needs you, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, they, you know, their nights you'll have and you'll sleep all night. And then, you know, the next shift you won't catch a wink. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's that the, the crazy thing is, is I've never been on a sleep schedule because of that fact. Yeah. Uh, and it'll mess you up half the time. I'm wanting to take a nap at two or three o'clock in the day and then I can't sleep at night. And it's <laughs> it throws you off as far as the sleep schedule goes. But, well, I'm you sure. know. But being in a profession it, like that, I mean, I can't, I've never done anything like that, but I'm sure it's like when you get that call, your adrenaline starts pumping everything. Um, have you found being able to like kind of control your adrenaline, control your emotions, has that related any into deer hunting as far as when a big deer comes in, stuff like that? Man, when a big deer comes in, I lose all composure. <laughs> well, well I, will, I will say this, I'm usually good at keeping my composure till after the shot and yeah. after the shots when i lose it most of the time but that's oh, one thing you know to me and that's why i'm such a big bow hunter is because you know all of us pretty much grow up starting with a rifle and that sort of thing yeah and it had gotten to the point with me <clears throat> to where I wasn't having that excitement anymore with a rifle. Yeah. So I started picking the bow up more and more and more. And, you know, I started finding out that even when I was on a doe mission or whatever, just to target does, I was still getting that same adrenaline rush with a doe, you know, and yeah. it, it just everything, mm. you know, and it got to where I was never picking up the gun anymore. I went, 15 years without not even toting a gun in the oh, woods. Wow. Yeah, wow. So uh, I was all, I always loved archery, and I would still archery hunt during rifle season. But, you know, most of us cut our teeth with a rifle in hand. Yeah, as far as well, especially goes. if you're raised in the south because we got such long yes. rifle seasons. I mean, Midwest mm-hmm. guys, all they have is bow hunting. But if you grew up That's in the right. south, we've got a long rifle season. If you're not rifle hunting, you ain't hunting pretty much, so. It, it, exactly, and, and and that's a cool thing you talk about, you know, other places not having that option. You know, when I started hunting, you know, all over the nation, you know, you start realizing that there's, there's totally different, 
you know, geographically where you go, it's a whole different hunt. Like around us, we've got hunting clubs where you might have 10 or 12 members and you don't see that in the Midwest. No. So lots of people are asking me questions and I'm going, y'all don't have hunting clubs here? And (laughs) they're like, no, we, 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 we don't, we don't know or understand anything about that. Yeah. So that's one of the cool things about getting out and being able to travel is seeing the different, you know, people, how they hunt, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You learn so much by, you know, just getting on the road. And that's that's one reason I recommend everybody to travel if you have the, you know, opportunity to do it, because you learn so much by getting out there and seeing the way other people do it. And, you know, even the deer react different, like in the Midwest than they do here in Texas oh, yeah. or wherever. Oh, yeah. You're hunting the same species, but it's almost like you're hunting a totally different animal. At yeah, times. yeah, for sure. Yeah, the first time I went out to the Midwest, I wasn't aware that their deer didn't have neck muscles that made them look up all the time. Well, I'm- and the crazy thing is, even when they do develop those muscles and look up at you, they will look at you and I'm going the hunt's over, the yeah, hunt's over, yeah. the hunt's over. And all of a sudden they just go back to doing their normal thing. And I'm like, this would have never happened in Georgia. No, yeah. <laughs> no, I've seen them hang trees on or stands on trees that look like telephone poles and they get away with it. I, like, I, I know it. They're, the deer in the Midwest are so much more laid back. And yeah. I don't know why. I don't know if it's the genetics or if they're <laughs> just not pressured as much or. Yeah. Yeah, what it, it is, but they're definitely more laid back, and you can get away with a lot more with those type deer than you can in Georgia. Because if a deer ever looks at you in Georgia, you hang it up. Oh yeah, because they're about to start blowing and raising cane, and they're going to ruin your whole hunt. Yeah, but you know, you get away with so much more in the Midwest, and it's almost it's it's a relaxing time <laughs> to be honest with you, because you're not on pins and needles and all that the whole time yeah you don't hold your breath every time a deer yeah. walks through yep the southeast is just brutal as far as it comes to you know deer picking you off and just being on defcom 5 yeah. all the time <laughs> yeah. well and that may have something to do with them growing up dodging bullets their whole life too that might have a little <laughs> that's bit true. Yeah. that's true because people around these territories they run dogs they hunt them trees they they hunt them any from the road from the road yeah <laughs> any which way you can these deer around here get pressured so yeah yeah, yeah. it's probably got a lot to do with it for sure yeah. yeah for sure this segment of the back 40 skull sessions podcast is brought to you by mountaineer outfitters the official outfitters of appalachian holler hunters visit them online on facebook or instagram or visit them in person at 65 haynes road in newland north carolina open 8 to 5 monday through friday 8 to 12 on saturdays Stop by and see him today for all your hunting and shooting sport needs. So I had a guy come in the shop the other day and said he saw a giant buck cross the road in front of him. Oh. But I have no way of knowing who owns the property you run onto. Yeah, you do. How? You get the Onyx Hunt app. What is that? It's a mapping tool. You can see how big parcels are, who owns those parcels, and in some cases, get the tax address where you can either send them a letter or go knock on their door and see if you can possibly hunt their property. Really? So I can use that app to find out who owns that property and possibly get permission? Yes, sir. Well, heck yeah, pull it up. Let's get on there and find out who owns that property because I'm telling you, he's a monster. Let's do it. All right, man. Well, we just, we just talking about all these hunting stories stuff and you traveling a lot. So you uh, hunt with Philip Culpepper and, and you're on his show, uh, Hunt yes. Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Speaking of that and, and that show, we just going to change directions a little bit. What's your favorite? What was your favorite hunt of 2022? 
Uh, this past deer season, see, I went to Real Tree Road Trips this past deer season. Uh, I was with Philip for about two years, and then I had an opportunity to go to Real Tree Road Trips and help Tyler out. So I took that on in 2022. And, you know, I, I, I will honestly say this part. Part of why I love doing this is getting to see the different territories and hunt the different deer. The hunt drives me more than anything else in the outdoor industry. And the traveling is what I really, really enjoy doing. Like I said earlier, you get to see different people, the way they do things. You get to see the different deer and how they react. And I honestly love every hunt I go on. Uh, you know, each place has its own draw that draws me. You know, like the Midwest has got their big deer that are laid back, you know, and around here in the Southeast, it's just prideful if you even kill a decent buck because of how jittery they are. You know, you go out to Texas and it's a totally different style hunt there. Yeah. Uh, so I enjoy that. That is part of what drives me is to get out and see these different places. And I enjoy all that so much that I've got a love for every place I go. Uh, and it's hard for me to pick favorites out, but you know, the, the, the land that uh, real tree hunts out there in Nebraska is really a, a special place. You know, there's a lot of deer out there. Uh, we had, we had a couple of good trips out there this year. Uh, I had a good hunt up in Kentucky. You know, that area is beautiful up in there. Uh, I went, went up there to Western Kentucky this year and killed a pretty good deer over there and it's beautiful territory. You know, uh, they got that ag, you know, vibe and all corn and tobacco and all that kind of stuff over in that area, which is really cool. And I, I get drawn into the land as much as i do the hunt you know yeah i get drawn yeah. into the land and the people i meet and all that you know hunting's just the cherry on top i guess you could say yeah but you know it's hard for me to pick a favorite because of the fact that i love and enjoy everywhere i go i've never been to a place and just gone I, this is horrible i'm never coming back <laughs> you know? right. well that's awesome uh, i mean yeah, I just enjoy it all. But, yeah, I would say this year my two favorite hunts were probably Kentucky and Nebraska. You know, they were both really good hunts with, you know, just an abundance of deer, you know, really good hunts, uh, you know, the ability to move and chase them. Because we, we like the DIY stuff a lot better than just, the, you know, somebody dropping you off and telling you to sit here and this is the deer that's going to show up. Yeah. So, we kind of target the places to where we've got the freedom to, if we need to move or move a stand or if we, you know, we have that option. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I like those two places a lot because we have those options and freedom to make moves and do what we need to do because y'all know as well as I do, a deer's not going to do the same thing for two weeks in a row, just due to the food pattern changing and all that they'll, they'll move from the fields to the acorns and in late season they're on food plots you know so you've got to move with the deer and if we see deer doing something different we'd like to have the the ability to be able to move and chase them and get within bow range because y'all know as well as i do you know closing that 40 yard gap to get a bow shot 
there's a lot of moving and shuffling around that goes on. Yeah. So, you know, we, we like the freedom to be able to, you know, come in and hang our own sets and kind of do what we need to do. And I'm, I'm really not a big fan of the hunts to where you just show up and they sit you in a stand and say this deer is going to come come in, you know. Yeah, yeah. I like the sweat equity and to be able to add a little bit of my, you know, my thoughts into what can happen. It makes the hunt more appreciative and, you know, that sort of thing when you you kind of have the ability to put what you want to do into it. Yeah, so, well, and it makes you feel like you've accomplished something when it finally all it does, does come together. It, it does. It's, when you're given stuff, it's not appreciated as much as if you have to work for it. And yeah. I think that's why the road trip side is really taken on. And we were that way with Hunt Club, too. <laughs> we, we love the do-it-yourself. You know, they would kind of give you a game plan and show you where the deer were hanging out and then you kind of go in there and just do whatever you want to as far as placement of stands and this and that and that's where i get you know most of the satisfaction from is playing the chess game with the deer yeah you know in that sort of thing versus just sit here and shoot you know yeah 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 you said you went into western kentucky yeah, we were over in Western Kentucky is is where we were, uh, over in that area. I got and, you. you. know, it's beautiful country over yeah. there. Well, that's, uh, Kentucky is a very unique state. If you go, you is. can get everything. You hunt the western side, you got the Midwest feel. If you go to the eastern side, you're into the edge of the Appalachian Elk, Mountains. And, and Yeah, it's like yeah. where we live here. If you mm-hmm. go up to the northern parts, you get that whole Kentucky feel to it. Or not Kentucky, the Ohio feel to it with the big draws and the big hardwoods and stuff like that. It's just, it's a crazy state to hunt for sure. It is, and it's a sleeper state. You know, it's an area that's not really, you know, sought after as much, but offers an abundance of of opportunities at deer and velvet, just big deer in general. You've got elk, you've got great turkey hunting. Yeah, I mean, it's a really big sleeper state that yeah, there's you know, some people hammers should coming definitely out try out. Yeah, for sure. For sure, there's some hammers coming out of Kentucky. Uh, you mentioned Nebraska. I would com- I would dare to put Nebraska on that whole sleeper state list as well because there's some really big deer coming out of Nebraska. Nobody, well, most of the East Coast guys, they don't. it's not even on our radar. Right, and it's not. You don't hear a lot. You know, when you get out in that territory, you hear Kansas, Kansas, Kansas. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, Oklahoma, Nebraska, you know, the, the, those are two states out there that really, really are sleeper states and are producing big deer every year. Uh, I, I mean, it's just your it's your typical Midwest hunt, and it, there's not a lot of focus on it, but there, I mean, gosh, if you get on social media, you'll see some brutes coming out of those states oh, yeah. every yeah. year and it just doesn't have the name label that the others do you know uh illinois almost you know it's almost hunted out now because it it got so much popularity there in the late 90s yeah you know and everybody flocked to illinois and you can definitely tell a difference now by hunting illinois yeah. uh, from yeah, what it for used sure. to be 20 years ago or whatnot 
in uh, some of these sleeper states, you know, like your, your, you know, Nebraska's, Oklahoma's, uh, Kentucky's, you know, you can go in there and, and see exactly the amount and the quality that you do in a Kansas or a Iowa or whatever. Yeah. And, and you know, there it's more plentiful there because people are just not, they either don't know about it or are not utilizing it, one or the other. Yeah, you know? and I mean, it's a commitment to, like, if you're going to go out there and hunt, it's a long drive from, say, us or you. I mean, it's a long way to Absolutely. Nebraska from here, so you kind of got to go yep. all in and, if I'm not, am I mistaken? Tags are easier to get acquire in Nebraska than like Kansas. Are, are oh yeah, not? yeah, it's over the counter. That's what I know, thought. So yeah, that's what I and, thought. And that's another thing that you know makes those states that more appealing is you know you you don't have to worry about the draw or getting drawn or whatever. You know, Kansas the past couple of years has been pretty hard to get into, and reason I've heard is because you know during all the COVID stuff, Canada kind of shut down their border and all that kind of stuff so a bunch of those guys that were going to canada started putting in in kansas and other areas and it was just kind of flooding the market to where you know these people that were pretty much drawing every year in kansas were not getting tags i know a lot of people the past couple of years that have not drawn in kansas and they say just the flood of the canada hunters were were now hunting in those areas and they just didn't have enough tags to give out yeah so, that, that makes sense uh, yeah yep it does make sense but you know kansas it, it's probably one of your heaviest places that people are going to try to go for big midwest deer now so yeah yeah you know i was probably in my opinion the best but you know you're looking at four years now every four years getting in iowa yeah yeah. Uh, by getting your preference points and all that, uh, they definitely protect their resources, and it shows. I mean, that's why they got the biggest deer in the nation, in my opinion, is because they do protect their resources the way yeah. they do. Yeah, well, but they it's frustrating on our end because we can't get in every yeah. year. But they know, know what it, they have, and they've not sold out to just make a little extra money. That's right. That's right. And you know, that's another state doesn't have a rifle season you know they've got your muzzle loader and stuff of that nature but yeah you know and talking about the way different areas hunt and all uh you know down here we sling rifles you know like no joke and you know you go to some of these places and you can't do that and even kansas i think i think kansas rifle season's only like two weeks yeah, yeah. uh they, they've got a very limited rifle season out there but uh, you know, it, it makes you wonder if doing stuff like that, you know, is protecting the resources better and growing bigger deer, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I'm currently sitting on four preference points right now. So. Yeah, I've got three, and I think I'm going to try to draw this year. Yeah. Uh, and just see how it goes. I got you. And a lot of it depends on the game zone, is what I've heard. If you're yeah. going zone five or six, you're going to have to have. Right four if not five but yeah yeah definitely definitely like uh, you say there's big deer it, all over that state so yeah that's just the magical state right there i mean that's that's one you can put a whole year's effort into if you've got the time to try to get that magical deer uh it, it's it's a special place and you know being you can't get in there very often it makes it even that much more special so yeah yeah yeah, well, we're going to 
throw another little curveball at you here. We're going to switch gears again. Um, from guys being on the outside looking in, you see the hunting industry. You think it would be so cool to be in this. It, but you being on the inside of the hunting industry now, um, what is your opinion on the direction of the hunting industry? Do you feel like it's in good shape? Like you see everything from the outside, but you don't see a lot of what goes on on the inside and kind of, it just makes us kind of wonder what, what all goes on as far as being an insider in the hunting industry, as far as how everybody's relating to everybody, how different companies are going stuff. Just, is there any way you can give us a little heads up into that world? Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything else, you know. Uh, you've got good things and bad things that go on. I, I will tell you this, you know, uh, your your Michael Waddells and your Bill Jordans are done, yeah. you know, because back in the earlier days, you know, you only had a handful of guys out there that were doing the true outdoor industry gig and making a living off hunting. Yeah. And there was only one channel to watch it on you know you had espn back in the day and the only time you could watch hunting was on a saturday yeah yeah you know and things were limited to where they they would not show kill shots and that kind of thing so the outdoor industry has evolved so much in the past 20 years to now to where you've got three channels 24 7 air and hunting You've got social media, which being YouTube, you've got thousands of people on YouTube now. Yeah. Uh, so everywhere you turn now, you can watch hunting. And it almost went from a time period to where, you know, you had these maybe a dozen prestigious people that were out there making a living off of it. And now it's grown into thousands and thousands. Yeah. So the outdoor industry as a whole has changed yeah. just due to that, you know. Uh, and that's why I say there will never be your Michael Waddells anymore because the outdoor industry is so saturated with everything now. Yeah, And, you know, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. The good thing is you can find hunting shows wherever you want to now and pick and choose what you like and what's your style. Yeah. Uh, but it makes it harder to make a living in the outdoor industry because of the saturation, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's a thousand guys now standing there with their hands up now. <laughs> and everybody has their ability now to where you can make your own hunting show and put it on YouTube. Yeah. To be viewed by the nation and the world. Yeah. And Back in the day, you had to have a whole production company to, <laughs> you know, do that. And now you can do it sitting in your recliner. Yeah. So, you know, there's good and bad things there, uh, you know, and you've just, you know, the outdoor industry, though, as a whole, is a, is a great place to be. Uh, and there's just been so much change over the past 20 years, mainly just due to technology. But it, it has definitely been a change because, you know, you, you really, truly, you had Bill Jordan, you had Michael Waddell, David Blanton, you had the Drewries, you know, you yeah. had that elite group back in the day. Yeah. And I remember as a kid, you know, the only time you could watch hunting was Saturday on ESPN. Yeah. 
And yep. so that made these people just superstars. You know, they oh, yeah. were every kid in America wanted to be that. But now, you know, anybody that wants to take part of it can pretty much do it and produce it out of, like I say, your recliner watching TV at night. You can produce and put your own hunting show out there. Yeah. So it, 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 it's it's good and it's bad, I guess you could say, you know, as far as the way things have developed. Uh, because of now, you know, it does make it harder to make a living doing the hunting side because there's so many people involved now. So you just kind of kind of pick your niche of what you like and want to do and want to accomplish and drive with it yeah, and not yeah. let anything distract you, you know, is what you've got to do because there's a lot of distractions now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it makes it harder with sponsorships, too, because these companies cannot sponsorship everybody that walks in the door, you know. And so it does make it a little harder, you know, when you're trying to grab sponsorships here and there because these guys are getting their doors run over every day by people wanting to get in and want this and that. So, you know, it's just you've got to pick your path of where you want to go and where you want to be and focus on that and keep moving forward. But it's great that everybody has the opportunity now to do what they want and put it out there nationwide. Yeah. Right. Everybody know? can live that dream, so to speak, if they want to. Correctly. To extent, anyways. And, yeah. You know, it, 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 and that's why I say you've got to be focused on what exactly it is you want. Because yeah. there are a lot of different options to the way you can take it nowadays to whether it's something you want to make a living out of, which is, is very hard to do nowadays. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to make a living off of hunting alone, uh, just because of the saturation, but you can make a lot of money at it. You know, nowadays, you know, if you get in with the right crowd or the right niche and, you know, if your YouTube channel starts popping off, there are a lot of people making a full living off oh, YouTube yeah. only. Oh, yeah. yeah and, yeah. you know, you get the right niche or whatever, you know, and people start viewing you. You can go from nothing to everything overnight nowadays. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you just got to pick the area of what you want to do and how you want to accomplish it and stay focused. Yeah. But... It's good that that opportunity is there for sure. Yeah. But it does make it harder sometimes like on your sponsorship ends and all that because each company can't afford to sponsor the thousands of people that are out there trying to do it. So, yeah, yeah. You, you know, to where used to the companies could kind of pick and choose who they deal with. Now they're getting run over by the people, right. you know, coming to them wanting stuff. So, yeah. You know, it's just however you want to look at it to whether it's good or it's bad. Yeah. You right. know. All right. Well, well, while we're on the hunting industry stuff, we, we talked about how you, now you're with Realtree Road Trips. You've, you've hunted with Philip Culpepper. You've hunted with a lot of L&M boys. Part of, part of this podcast is we love telling stories and stuff. And you being in the industry for, you said, like 19 years now, we're, we've sure you've got some good stories. What's, what's, oh, yeah. what's one of your favorite stories you've got with some of these names like Culpepper or or whoever some of these guys you've been with? Because part of part of being of hunting in general, yeah. you end up coming back with stories that's hilarious stuff. That that's what makes a hunt for oh, the most yeah. part is the fun stuff that goes on and the funny things that happen. What what's some of these that you might had here recently? Oh, 
man, we have such a good time everywhere we go that that it's just it's all. And the bad thing is is half the good stuff gets lost in the crowd. The other new stuff coming in, you know, we're oh, yeah. just always. That, that's what I like about the outdoor industry is you can laugh and cut up and have a good time and be social and you know there's kind of stuff that 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 happens all the time and it, it is it, it's just you know on the spot of trying to pick one out right now I'm kind of having trouble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean that's like, a that's a good problem to have though. You have that many good memories. Yeah, I mean, that, that's yeah, a good problem. It, to it's, have. it's 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 almost. I was trying to think of a. Of something real good i can tell you one story that that was and this was back when we were i was hunting with hunt club and it was uh it was a turkey hunt actually just crazy stuff i've seen and me and roger were hunting together and philip and ryan newman were hunting on the same farm but further away and me and roger got in this area one time and we were sitting there and we ended up calling in a group of birds and we killed our two birds so we were done and when we looked up there was a bunch more birds up on the hill strutting pretty you know they were four or five hundred yards away from us yeah but they stayed out there through all this kind of stuff so we had killed our birds and we met back up with philip and ryan and said there's there's these birds over here you know all this kind of stuff you know if y'all want to give them a run yeah so anyhow, they decided to, well, we had left our birds down in there, uh, right kind of in a low spot, like right at a creek. And yeah. we just left our birds there. So we said, you know, we'll just go up over on this hill and just lay back and let y'all try to work them and kill them. But we could still kind of see everything that was going on from where we were. And they started working these birds and all. And now th- this whole process was probably a couple of hours. Yeah. And they end up getting these birds to come down in there. Well, they came down to that little low spot in that creek right where we had laid our birds. Oh, Lord. And so they come through there, and they come over there, and one of them's pecking at the one on the ground. (laughs) And the bird I had shot jumps up and starts fighting them. Oh, Lord. Now, this bird's been laying there for two hours dead as a doornail. And my bird jumps up and starts fighting these other five birds that come in. And, uh, you know, that that was one of the dangest things. We laughed about that for hours because, you know, <laughs> sit there and kill a bird. I mean, we had literally toted them off and put them down there in the creek. You know, yeah. there's a doornail. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that bird jumps up and starts flocking them other birds that come in there. And I'm like, good. What in the world just happened? Well, did they end up shooting one of the other birds? Or did they finish your yeah, bird? Yeah, they or? got the other birds, and then I had to run down in there and chase my bird back around. And it was it was the biggest mess I ever seen. But I had never seen the bird lay there two hours, stone cold dead, and then jump up and start fighting another pack of turkeys. That's crazy. I mean, this bird didn't move and was laying there dead as a doornail for two hours. And he come back to life like he was a spring chicken. <laughs> and it was it, it was crazy, but I that's one of those stories you know that you'll never forget. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And you know, just one of those funny things that happen from time to time. And 
my bird jumped up. Me and Roger kind of looked at each other and were going, what in the world just happened? <laughs> but luckily, and another funny thing was, was Philip, when they came in, he missed uh, he missed the first three shots and had to reload. And he pulled a chapstick out of his pocket instead of more ammo and put a chap, chapstick thing up in the tube. I mean, it, it, this whole hunt was just... I, I mean, it, it was the funniest thing I've ever been a part of. We laughed. We still laugh to this day over all that. But it was just one of those chaotic hunts where, you know, just crazy stuff happened and about everything went wrong that could have. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. From chapstick going into the magazine tube to turkeys yeah. coming back to life. Yeah, to, zombie yeah. turkeys. That's oh, awesome. man, it was it, – it, that, but that was a pretty funny adventure right there yeah. in itself. That's awesome. Yeah, like That's one say, of those things you'll never forget, I can promise you. For sure. <laughs> well, when you're in the woods, there's always something crazy going on. You're like, there's nobody going to believe this happened. Oh, like, I know. There's it. no if way anyone will believe it. was there, I'd be the laughing stock of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but luckily I've got, I've got some witnesses that were around <laughs> that saw it all go down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. That was that was actually up in Tennessee. You know, Tennessee's really, really good turkey hunting. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's an abundance of birds there, and I can't tell you how many times, you know, we kill multiple birds like that from the same setup. You yeah. know, kind of yeah. like that happened. Uh, you know, you just get in there, and uh, you kill one bird, and then you hear some others gobbling or look up and see some others, and end up working a totally separate group of birds off the same setup yeah yeah like i say that's when you know you're in the turkeys yeah for (laughs) sure for sure yeah i'm excited to get back in tennessee and do some turkey hunting yeah luckily for us we're our county borders tennessee so it ain't nothing for us to jump over into tennessee and do a little turkey hunting so yeah tennessee's really fun they got a lot of birds you know kentucky tennessee that whole area right in there is just you know flooded with a lot of good yeah. birds yeah. we actually lease a property down in the upstate of south carolina and it's uh-huh. i think it's underrated as as to how many birds right. are in south carolina they got a ton of turkey too yeah yeah I mean, we, we've had a lot of you know even up there in north carolina we we've gotten into a lot of birds over there where we were doing strut masters yeah i remember another funny story was uh it was it was last year as a matter of fact uh yeah, yeah, it was last year, and me and Philip and Roger went up to hunt with Shepard about an hour north of there after the competition, and we were in the woods, and we had called one in, and the bird came in, and I killed that bird, and then we heard a couple of more birds gobble across the swamp, so we just sat right back down there at the same setup, you know, and they ended up, we ended up calling three or four they were three or four in that group they flew over the swamp and came to us and i mean they literally came up to roger's gun barrel he <laughs> emptied the gun missed all of them. i mean they were literally at about five steps yeah, and uh, that's awesome. but that was off the same setup too i mean we were in the bird stick that yeah, day and yeah. that was that was that was over there in north carolina they we, we've had some pretty good luck over in that area really that whole east coast you know i've killed them up in pennsylvania and all and there's good hunting up in there yeah yeah that eastern part of north carolina they're eat up with birds yeah. it's 
over where Ooh, we're at on the western part of the state it's mountains we're in the appalachian mountains and it's a little harder up here but uh, yeah definitely definitely yeah fat boy like myself doesn't like him hills <laughs> yeah my cousin lives down in the flatland i brought him up hunting one day and he's like you didn't tell me i needed to be training for an elk hunt this is bullcrap uh, I, I know it. we walked we, him to we, death we, that morning we, yeah we've hunted up there in pennsylvania and all that you know real hilly territory before and uh you know it'll beat you down oh yeah it will beat you down you yeah. getting that stuff and yeah. uh That's but there's good hunting over there because we we we've always had a lot of good luck we we hunt up there in northern pennsylvania kind of not far about 30 minutes from new york and uh they're just flooded with birds up there you know that whole eastern coast you know really is is loaded with them yeah yeah, yeah. that's awesome you talking about hilly we 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 hunted north of georgia a couple of years ago and that's some of the steepest territory i've ever been in my yeah. life <laughs> yeah it gets rough up there too you know and that that's i i have to tell people in a hurry we're gonna have to sit down and take a little break real quick yeah yeah let's stop and wait on these things a minute maybe they'll come to us instead of us going to them that's what let's make these birds do all the work i'm tired i'm tired of hooking it let's see if they'll come to us yeah yeah well half the time if you've got a bird on top of the mountain and you go to chasing one up a hill especially around here i've had it happen a dozen times where you'll have another one that comes in quiet behind you before you know it he's within 30 40 yards gobbling his head off and you didn't even know he was there absolutely we have that happen all the time and it's just you know lots of times too if you're working a bird you'll get others fired up around you you yeah because they're hearing that calling and gobbling and constant and you'll get another bird fired up you didn't even know was there and you know then you got a couple of different birds coming into you and then you always have those silent type too that just walk up on you and you never know they were there yeah yep that's what keeps us doing it that's why we love turkey hunting absolutely and it's so fun to get in those territories where there are an abundance of birds right there and you can experience that you know because lots of times it's it it can get tough and i've hunted properties around here you know and everywhere else that you know you're on one select piece of property and getting your you know just butt kicked yeah and then you drive a mile down the road and you can't beat them off you you know, and it's, right. it's crazy how that works and how just a mile apart, the birds will react totally different. But, yeah. you know, lots of times it's just traveling to find and covering the ground, find that one bird that wants to work. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, that's more my style. I like to run and gun and find the birds that are going to work. So I cover a lot of territory and stay on the move versus just kind of setting up and sitting there i want to find the bird that wants to play yeah for sure so i cover a heap of ground oh yeah yeah that's we're the same way that's that's what makes it fun though i mean it it is and there's different ways of hunting them you know a lot of people love to sit in the blind or whatever and call them in that way or whatever but i'm more of a putting foot to ground or buggy to ground covering the ground trying to find that bird that's going to put on a good show you know put on a show and get right in your lap i like to shoot them when you can smell their breath there's no doubt you know and a lot of people don't like reaping but i'll reap a turkey in a hurry yes. you know that's some of the most exciting stuff to Without me a doubt. now it's not something i do every time i go or whatever but it's definitely got its place and is really 
you know, an adrenaline rush to have one almost run over you. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. You see that head turn white, and you got them. <laughs> you know, they once know. that head turns white, they're, they're liable to start running at you at any second. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, but I do think that has hurt a little bit of the turkey population because there's some turkeys that would never get killed if it weren't for, you know, a fan. Yeah, yeah. So that's another one of those things. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Because I think that's caused a lot lot of your field birds that would typically never get killed, you know. Yeah. uh, They're getting killed now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, but it is a fun way to hunt. I could... I, you know, I see both sides of the story when it comes to reaping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and the way I look at it, it just all goes back to have your bag limits. Like, you only get a certain yeah. number of tags. And if you kill that turkey reaping, you're only going to kill one reaping. Or if your limit's two, That's you're right. only going to kill two reaping. As long as you don't kill over your limit and everybody's That's responsible right. about it, it, it'll all come back. Well, yeah, and that's kind of like what Alabama did last year. As well as lowering the bag limit and pushing their season back, they went to a law to where the first 10 days of season you can't use a decoy. Yeah. Which I would have rather seen them go from five to just, say, three birds and let you hunt them however you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you would save more birds that way than you would by going with four and regulating the decoys on the front front half because when you start throwing those 10 day regulations or whatever people get confused and people are going to honestly kind of get themselves in trouble from time to time yeah yeah and and you know i think it would have helped the turkey population out better just to lower it one more bird to three and then just let you hunt them however you want to yeah yeah uh, because most of your your serious turkey hunters are going to kill their bag limit every year you know pretty much most of the time right yeah. so i think you would save more birds by doing it that way dropping the number another bird than you know going about it the way they did uh or even drop it to two and let you hunt however you wanted to yeah yeah but, and there's like you say there's so many sides to this argument i mean there's so many different factors and we have our own theories on it and it just there's no there's not one solution that's going to fix everything i mean it's just no i think it's a combination of everything yeah i agree you know i i just think you know everybody says you know you've got the predators deal which is which is a big concern you've got a habitat deal which, you know, the habitat has changed over the years, you know, especially around us, you don't see as much farming as you used to. Yeah. So the birds don't have the territory they used to and the habitats change. I believe that affects them. And, you know, I've even heard people go to saying that these people that are fertilizing with chicken litter and all, that that is causing some bacterial diseases and all that's killing the turkeys. Uh, there, there's endless arguments out there as far as to what's causing it. But yeah. honestly, I think it's a little bit of everything. Well, and I think but, it varies from location to location. And it does. It does. And it's just like up there in Tennessee near one place I've hunted. They There was a group that monitored, I think they, they monitored like 14 hens last year, year before last. And they followed them pretty much all year. And out of those 14 hens, not one poult survived. Yeah. 
So that's a big problem right there, and that's going to fall more on your predators because your poults have got – they're dealing with air-to-ground predators. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, when they're poults, these hawks and eagles and everything else is picking them off, not to mention your, you know, coyotes, bobcats, and stuff of that nature as well. They've, they've got such a vast majority of predators that are just after them, yeah. and it's just hard to get them to survive. and. I think the pulp survival rate, you know, of course, is probably your biggest biggest problem. They're yeah. just not getting a chance to get grown up. Well, like on the farm we hunt right here, we've been killing coyotes and stuff like that for years, yeah. and we've done a really good job at that, but we still wasn't having any pulps hatch off. And we got to examining right. everything, and we noticed our coon population, our raccoon population was through They're the roof. a big problem. And we went to trapping last year, and out of one yeah. trap, we trapped 18 raccoons, and we had yeah. six groups of poults of eight or more grow to full maturity this year. Just in that's one correct. year of tra- trapping raccoons, and I think that's something that's way yes. overlooked. I mean, I really do. Yeah, they're definitely, they'll bust up a nest in a hurry, which... They say a hen will rebreed up to three times, you know, Yeah. as far as if their clutch gets busted up. But, you know, when they've got so many things after them, I know Roger Culpepper one time put a camera up on a clutch of eggs just to see, you know, what was going on. And he actually had a snake come in there and eat the whole clutch in one night. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of things that we don't think about. You know, you bringing up the coon population, you know, a lot of that was never thought about until 10 years ago that that was going on and that they were as big of a problem as they are. Yeah. And like I say, I think it's a little bit of everything from habitat to predators to, you know, possibly chemicals or what people are spreading in these fields could be doing it you know the the list could go on and on and i don't think you'll ever you know put a finger on what exactly it is i think it's just the majority of everything combined but like you say the coon population that that's gotten to be a real real big problem but yeah a, a poult has got so many predators yeah you know so many things working against it and i think eliminating that's going to help a lot like you eliminate the coon population and stuff of that nature and get the coyotes out of there which you know the coyotes are going to get them at pulps or you know even grown Grown they're going to get them well and it's like you say you can't get rid of all the problems for the turkeys but if you can eliminate one or two you're going to help yep yeah, definitely, and I think the habitat's a real big problem. I think habitat's more of a problem than people think about as well. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. You know, just having what they need to be there uh, as far as everything goes. But, you know, that, like I say, that's an age-old argument that'll never get settled. <laughs> no, it won't. As it'll far as what's, what's really hurting the turkey population, because we've done so many things over the past you know, 10 years, 10, 15 years to try to change the dynamics. And I don't see anything really helping a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, it definitely helps a little bit to get your predators out of there and get the poults, you know, a little bit more chance. But, you know, when you look at the numbers at the end of the year, it, you know, it, it's almost like they're staying the same. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or even getting a little worse in some areas. Yeah, and it may be one of those things, everything in life works off of a bell curve, and we may be at the lower end of a bell curve. You never can tell. I mean. Yep, yep, it could be some kind of cycle deal, you know. But 
I, I think weather too, you know, you, you have a lot of areas that the weather and the flood control and all that kind of stuff can affect these nesting turkeys too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it'll just, it, if the water rises and stuff like that, I know several areas of people hunting in that low ground that they end up losing, you know, if they get a lot of flooding that year, you know, during nesting season, yeah. they, they, they hardly won't see any poults, yep. you know. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot against them little jokers, man. I feel sorry yeah. for. Them. Yeah, it makes you wonder how the species has ever survived. I know it. I know it because when you monitor fourteen hens and not one poult survives out of those fourteen hens, yeah. I mean that 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 yeah. is that's that, a problem. It's hard to fathom. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. hard to fathom that fourteen hens have no poult survivors. Yeah. So you know that that really opens your eyes real quick to there's a problem. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that'll probably put us to the end of end of this one, I believe. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on with us today, Pitts. We oh, we appreciate man. the conversation. Anytime. More than you know, we really yeah. do appreciate it. No, any anytime, man. I enjoy doing this kind of stuff and you know, getting to talk hunting with people. So yeah. it is it, it's it's my pleasure. I enjoy doing it. Well, uh good luck this turkey season. Hopefully we see you down at Strut Masters, but if not, maybe we'll run into you somewhere else. We'll get together with you at some point, so that's right all right buddy well we appreciate you having on or being on here with us uh guys we're going to go into a break and we will be back shortly this segment of the back 40 skull sessions podcast is brought to you by realtree the official camo pattern of the appalachian holler hunters be sure and check out realtree's newest pattern realtree timber to stay concealed all season long i've got a problem what is it i've got this trail camera put up supposed to be sailor and i cannot get some pictures to me whatsoever was it a Tacticam? No, it's some other one I picked up, I think, at Walmart. Well, there's your problem right there, man. Tacticam has the best trail cameras on the market as far as the cell cams go. Really? Yeah, they pick up in places that no other camera will. They send pictures to your phone, and you can set it to send once a day, twice a day, or every time it takes a picture. So you mean to tell me it's still going to get out and send pictures in these rough, awful parts of this country in Appalachian Mountains? Man, it sends me pictures in places my cell phone won't even get out. Really? Yeah, so you need to pick one of those things up because you don't know what you're missing. I think I'll do that this evening. Go get your attack to camera reveal legs. All right, guys, welcome back to the Back 40 Skull Sessions podcast. We got a little long-winded there, but it wouldn't be us if we didn't. Exactly. It was it was a good section. A yeah, good absolutely. Absolutely. And we it. really appreciate our buddy, uh, Michael Pitts, for getting on here with us. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, always fun to talk to him. I mean, Man, he's a, he's a good one. He he's, is a great guy. I'm really hoping he shows he's able to get to Strutmasters because he was a lot I of fun so. to hang out with. Yeah, he was one of the best ones. I mean, they're all fun. A lot of guys are hunting, yeah. fun to hang out with, but he's definitely top notch. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, a good one. For sure. For sure. Well, it's January 20th. Still sitting here waiting on the sheds to drop. That yes. hadn't happened yet. Nope, not yet. But it won't I've be had long. little bucks start dropping. I had one buck. He had come through. He's got a spot on his shoulder. Yeah. I don't know if it had been shot or what, but yeah. he's got a spot. He come through the other day. Everything was there. He come through maybe two hours later, and he dropped one. I think it's his left side he dropped. Just a little bitty old yeah. spike. Yeah. His small four-pointer, I mean. But he had dropped. So I was like, well, we're getting closer. Getting closer, which if they're wounded, they're going to drop earlier. Yeah. But I had one show up the other night, and... I thought he had dropped one side. He would have been a, a young eight point. And I got to looking at him closer, and he has broke his skull. 
he's broke his skull plate and the horn's still oh, there gosh. but it's coming down beside his face and sticking out and you can see in the picture like this running down the side of his face like down below his eye yeah where it looks like that stuff's running out of his eye socket i mean mm. he's eating he's eating hey. like crazy he's been there two or three nights in a row eating so i don't know if he'll make it or not but you hate to see that i mean yeah make it all the way through deer season and then Get break his head break his skull horning trees or doing oh. something ain't no telling but that just that's deer hunting that's there's so many things that's stacked up against them it's just like we were talking with turkeys it's amazing yep. that they live speaking amazing. of speaking of turkeys i'm so I, i'm, I'm oh, just gosh. here to say i'm excited for how excited he was about yeah turkeys. yeah he's just as excited <laughs> about turkeys <laughs> as you like, are yes somebody that's <laughs> just as excited about turkey hunting as i am oh, i went out and i've sat on the porch last three mornings just sat yeah where it was a little warmer and just sat and listened did you hear anything not a thing not a one <laughs> but i was waiting i was ready if it did i just i just wanted to hear it yeah it's coming oh yeah I it's coming i'm still getting pictures of them strutting all right yeah. well i seen some i was on i was driving to work one morning this week a couple of cow pastures on the way through and there was some there was actually a lot there was like eight or ten toms out there blown strut, up i mean blowed up right beside the road too yeah you talk about tearing a body up, i guarantee it that, that and i've already been walking some of the places and I walked way up on top of a ridge in Tennessee the other day, walking in up our, up top, actually looking for a uh, antenna on my camera that got gone. And uh, just need a yes no. Yes. Okay. And uh, sorry. <laughs> and there's a lot of turkey sign way up high right now. Nice. And last year, what I noticed, this is a lot earlier than last year when I started looking, but there was a lot of sign up high, and it's like they worked their way back down. Yeah. Right when they started getting hot, so. But, uh, and guys, if you've heard background noise in here, we are recording this podcast during the workday yeah, here at Mountaineer Outfitters, Mountaineer Equipment. 12 so, o'clock, 1 o'clock. Yeah, it's, you, there's going to be a little bit of background noise, but it ain't no big deal. Nah, ain't. the good old Mountaineer Outfitters studio yep. in the back of the shop. If there wasn't any background noise, that means nobody's coming to spend money, and that's a bad thing. It's so. a bad thing for you guys. So. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm kind of glad to see some people in here. It's been a little, yeah. a little slow this winter. so Yeah, I'm getting ready to have another cold spell. So Yeah, Lord help us. That's what we need. Yep. I roll. Yeah, no joke. And I hadn't got to go rabbit hunting yet, so. I ain't either. I ain't got to do nothing yet. I've only think, the only thing I've actually done hunting-wise is go out and listen, listen for turkeys in yep. the morning before I go to work. Just sit there for like 20, 30 minutes just listen. Yep. Well, guys, I think that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, we just wanted to get back on here and say thank you to Pitts and just give you a little rundown of what's going on. But, uh as always, we want to thank all of our sponsors, Realtree, Bone Collector, Tacticam, Tacticam Reveal, Scent Crusher, Big and J, NAP Archery, Elk River Supply, Mountaineer Outfitters, Leopold Optics and Leopold Eyewear, Federal Ammunition, and Onyx Hunt. We've got a couple other partners. We appreciate everybody that helps us do the podcast, helps us do the YouTube show whenever it comes back. And <laughs> Yeah we're slowly getting there yeah Again. we're we're still slowly getting there but we'll get there before long guys we've got a before lot of good content we've really to come got out. a lot i set up the store because where i'd moved and started rearranging yeah. the house got the storyboard put back up nice nice we've got if i've lined it up correctly with what i think i've got i think depending on how we split up the africa episodes yeah we're looking somewhere along the lines of like 20 episodes it's funny that you mentioned that i fell into a hole last night i was laying in bed it was like 10 o'clock and I just happened to open my phone, and I went to the top of my pick, just the top of the feed where the Africa photos stop on just what's on my phone yeah. or where they start, and just started going through stuff and watching the videos just to see because, like, some of the videos, I don't even remember taking them. 
and recording them and it took me two hours just to get through what was on my cell phone wow yeah it, whenever i got done i mean i'm yeah. just i'm sitting there reliving the trip just right. reminiscing on what happened and i looked up and it was after 12 i was like holy, holy cow i've got to get to sleep yeah, i gotta I, work in the I, morning i based all that off of like splitting it into two so it sounds like they're going to split it up into Yeah, that's just two. what's on my cell phone. Yeah. So, that's nothing so, that we recorded on so the big camera. If we split that into two episodes, the way I have it laid out in my mind, how I, how much that footage I think we've got, we're looking at 28 episodes. That's going to be awesome. Tw- that's that's with like three left of season two. Yeah. And then the rest of that's season three. And it's we're technically filming for season three and a half. Yeah, four <laughs> right now. Yeah, the in-betwixt season antics. Yeah, so, crow hunting and coat yeah. hunting. Fixing to do the pheasant hunt the pheasant next hunt, week. So yeah. the pheasant shoot that people yep. like to holler about on YouTube. That's right. It's I'm sorry, but it's hey, for a good cause. Right. Y'all can I'm hate all it all you want to, but it brings in more money than any other fundraiser right. the rest of the year for those little kids that need help. Yeah. And it's a Can't great thing. It. No, absolutely right. not. I will never apologize. That's no. one thing I will never apologize. No. No. Ain't no way. Ain't no way, but, but anyway, we're twenty-eight episodes. So speaking of, if nobody wants to, if anybody has any ideas, quit begging for doing, help and just get them done. <laughs> I'm gonna continue to beg for help because that's a lot. No, you just need to knock them out. Seven, it won't take ten minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> It'll yeah, be fine. I wish if It'll it only took ten minutes. Hell, I'd have had them done months ago. <laughs> Sit down in your chair and get them done. Do you not listen to the man? Yeah, your yeah, in your recliner. Should have been some inspiration right there, Chris. It was, it was, it really was. All right, guys. Well, again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on, if you don't care, get on there, like, subscribe, leave us a rating, write us a review, help us grow the podcast, help us work our way up through the algorithm. We're going to keep pumping these things out. So tell your friends, tell your mama, tell, I wouldn't tell your mama, but tell everybody you know to listen. <laughs> she might get mad at us. But this one's been pretty clean. We ain't going to get a. A no, big no red, explicit. Red no, on this no, one. no big red E on this one. So, no. But guys, you and me didn't do a whole lot of talking. That's either. right. That's the reason because we kept our mouths shut. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, as always, thank you for listening to the podcast. We appreciate you, and we will be back with you in a week or two. Well, they sure as hell know me in that mad dog town, sixty-five southbound in the middle of Tennessee. Yeah, I left black marks on every turn too sharp like Bodooka generally. This segment of the Back 40 Skull Sessions podcast is brought to you by Realtree, the official camo pattern of the Appalachian Holler Hunters. Be sure and check out Realtree's newest pattern, Realtree Timber, to stay concealed all season long.